O God, who gave yourself to us in Jesus Christ, your Son, teach us to give ourselves each day until life's work is done. And in this moment of our collective thanks, teach us the admiring gratitude of a thankful heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hold here in my hands, for me, the most gripping and detailed chronicle of the Pilgrim story. This is Nathaniel Philbrick's award-winning book, The Mayflower, subtitle, A Story of Courage, Community, and War. Obviously, the book treats the harrowing voyage of that 90-foot splinter of an English ship called the Mayflower. Human cargo, 102 souls, half of them Puritans, the other half adventurers and crew. Harrowing, survive. I can't imagine that transatlantic voyage at this time of year because as it turns out, 393 years ago this very month, on November 11, 1620, that little skiff, as it were, dropped anchor in the frigid harbor of Cape Cod. And those of you who are not from the States, that would be the state of Massachusetts. Philbrick describes that moment. I want to just read a line or two to you. Many of the passengers were no doubt eager to set foot on land once again, to be sure. All were thankful that they had finally arrived safely in America, and yet it was difficult for them to look to the future with anything but dread. There were 3,000 miles of ocean between them and home. The closest English communities in America were more than 500 miles away. That would be south. They knew that Master Jones, the ship captain, was already impatient to get them off his ship and head the Mayflower back for home. But the land that surrounded them was low and sandy, a most unpromising place for a plantation. William Bradford, 31-year-old corduroy worker who will become the governor of the uh, Plymouth Colony, called it, quote, a hideous and desolate wilderness. So years later, Bradford is thinking back to that day, November 1620. And he writes, this first morning in America, But here I cannot stay and make a pause, he wrote, and stand half amazed at this poor people's present condition. They had now no friends to welcome them, nor inns to entertain or refresh their weather-beaten bodies, no houses or much less towns to repair to to seek for succor. In fact, in the next four months, half of them would... What astonished Bradford was not that half of them would be dead, but was that half of them actually survived. You think about it. They made it. There was nothing there. Bradford goes on, What could now sustain them but the Spirit of God and His grace? May not and ought not the children of these fathers rightly say, Our fathers were English men who came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness, but they cried unto the Lord, and He heard their voice and looked on their adversity. It was time to venture ashore. And so, on that day, November 10, their small little... We'd call it a lifeboat. Loaded with 16 well-armed men, the boat made its way to shore. It was only a narrow neck of land there in Cape Cod, but for these sea-weary men it was enough. Bradford later wrote, They fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all the perils and miseries thereof, again to set their feet on the firm and stable earth, their proper element. End quote. The rest of the story is the stuff of our sacred national myth. 
The story is who we are as Americans. We have, a look at almost 100 nations represented here. I understand at this university, but you celebrated, you just celebrated Thanksgiving in the United States of America. It is a part of our collective history, the story of the pilgrims. By the way, the ship did not unload until December 23. They come, the whole, they, the whole bunch of them come splashing wet and frozen garments onto land. Not a house. There's nothing. They spend the next two harrowing weeks constructing 20, 20-foot 20 square, a common house. Everybody's in 20-foot square house. And then they began to die. They began to die and die and die until they finally came to the place where only six of them, out of that 102, only six of them were healthy enough to tend to the survivors. And by the way, every death at night, is dealt with in the under the cover of darkness, unmarked graves. They don't want any natives who might live in this area to know that their, their numbers are depleting rapidly. By the time spring comes, 52 of the 102 have perished. I mean, come on. Phil Breck writes, we think of the pilgrims as resilient adventurers upheld by unwavering religious faith, faith. But they were also human beings in the midst of what was and continues to be today one of the most difficult emotional challenges a person can face, immigration and exile. And some of you know all about immigration. Two of the toughest challenges for a human being. An American Thanksgiving. It's the title of our homily this Thanksgiving weekend. But I have to kind of muse out loud, wonder out loud with you how vastly have the fortunes of this nation changed in the intervening 393 years. But I can't help but kind of just wonder if maybe they were more blessed than we first understood. Perhaps even more blessed with all our fortune than you and me today. An American Thanksgiving, title of our homily, put it on the screen for you. One Mayflower. Next week, because of the confluence and convergence of the calendars, next week we're at Christmas, an American Christmas. Two turtle doves. One Mayflower today, two turtle doves next Sabbath. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. How's it go? Bless His holy name. I want to brood with you for a few moments on this Thanksgiving Sabbath that ancient prayer. Open your Bible to the 103rd Psalm of the Psalter. 103rd Psalm. While you're finding it, let me just uh, give you a little, a little bit of background. Derek Kidner has written one of the great commentaries. I have the two, thanks to the kindness of a friend, I have the, the two-volume commentary that Kidner wrote on the Psalms. I love the way he describes this particular Psalm, Psalm 103. Put the words on the screen. No study guide today. No study guide. Those of you watching on television, we're glad to have you. You don't have to look for a study guide. You, you, you're already at our website if you're watching live streaming right now. But let me share just a few quotations. This, this, this would be Derek Kidner. Admiring gratitude shines through every line of this hymn to the God of all grace. I love that. Admiring gratitude shines through every line. In the galaxy of the Psalter, Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 are twin stars of the first magnitude. I've written that line above every, in every one of my Bibles above Psalm 103. Twin stars in the galaxy of this collection of ancient hymns. These are first magnitude stars. 
Did you catch that line? Let me repeat it again. Admiring gratitude shines through every line of this hymn to the God of all grace. Put it on the screen. Admiring gratitude. If there's nothing you take away from this brief homily, I hope it's those two words. If you want to, you want to tweet Psalm 103, you just say Psalm 103 equals admiring gratitude. Admiring gratitude. So with your permission, I'd like to, I'd like to brood over a stanza or two of, of this great hymn. Maybe share an insight or two from Kidner along the way. Let's go. Psalm 103, you already have your Bible open to it. You didn't bring a Bible? Pull the Pew Bible out. It's page 409 in the Pew Bible. Your tablet, your phone, doesn't matter where you find this. This is just one majestic hymn. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Do you know what? Embedded in this opening line is a poetic device of Hebrew literature. It's called a chiasm. It's where you put some doubles in to get to really make your point. So let me put it on the screen for you. You have, you have the first line, bless the Lord. The second line is, oh, my soul. And then what happens right after, oh, my soul? All that is within me. Well, that's just the same as, oh, my soul. So the B1 and B2 are, are parallel. And then he goes back to what he has just said, bless his holy name. Whenever you speak the name of God, when you bless the name of God, you're blessing God himself. It's called a chiasm. As if David wants to be doubly certain that God understands and hears the admiring gratitude of his very thankful heart. I mean, don't we sing these words? Come on, we sing the words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You remember, let's do it again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now keep going. You see the words on the screen. He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Bless His holy name. One more time. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. All that is within me. That's the way God told the children of Israel. He said, that's the way I want you to love me, by the way. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Isn't this what he said? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Isn't that right? With all your soul. Love me that way. Blessed, by the way, in the Hebrew, originally meant to kneel. It was, an act of, it was an act of adoration before the almighty sovereign God. So when you bless the Lord, you're acknowledging his sovereignty. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Now let's read it again. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, verse 1, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Look at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and do not forget all his... What's the word? Benefits. Do not forget. I watched a PBS... Uh, a P -P -P PBS piece on the news hour with Judy Woodruff a few days ago. She's interviewing the, this, the culinary superstar Paula Wolford, award-winning cookbook writer. I mean, cookbook, cookbook, cookbook. Anyway, in this interview, Paula Wolford discloses that she is suffering from Alzheimer's. She's in her early 70s, I'm guessing. Alzheimer's disease. 
It was touching to listen to this culinary star responding to Judy Woodruff and describing how this disease is slowly robbing her of her memory. She described about it. She said, I'll be in the kitchen at this counter working on something. I said, I've got to get something else. I go over there, and the moment I leave this counter, I forget what I was doing on that counter, and I forget why I'm turning to this counter. They interviewed her husband. He told about how the two of them are endeavoring to, to cope with the changing landscape of Paula's diminishing memory. Hey, listen, folks, it's a story we know all too well, and we're going to get to know it a whole lot better as the baby boomer generation now flows into retirement. This has been something that it seems this generation has brought to the table. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Is that what God is talking about? Hey, you, you forgot what I did for you. No, that's not what God's talking about. Derek Kidner in his commentary says, you know what, this, this is not just simple forgetfulness. This is a willful forgetfulness, a willful choosing to forgive, like good King Hezekiah who says, you know what, I have all of this, but I tell you what, I'm the one, I'm the one who brought all of this into my life. Second Chronicles, let me put it on the screen for you. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25. But Hezekiah did not respond according to the benefits. Same Hebrew word. Forget not all his benefits. Hezekiah did not respond according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was what? Proud. Spiritual Alzheimer's is a pride that chokes your mind off, and you do not recall. You choose not to recall from whence cometh all of this wealth. Where did it come from? Where do all these blessings come from? Look what I have done, Nebuchadnezzar said. Look what I have done. Hezekiah, his pride. Wow. Bless the Lord. O oh, my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Forget not, forget not. And just in case, David says, just in case you have an inclination to forget, let me put them like planes lined up on the O'Hare Airport tarmac. I'm going to take off six blessings. They're going to take off right behind each other. Six divine blessings. Why? You cannot, you must not forget. So here they come. Read verse 2 again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do, and, and do not forget all his benefits. Here we go now. Blessing number one, who forgives all your iniquity. Blessing number two, who heals all your diseases. Hit the pause button right there. Because, you know, sometimes when we read these two, we say, well, okay, so he forgives my iniquities, he heals my diseases. I mean, that, they just go hand in hand. When he does one, he does the other. Kid, uh, Kidner says, no, 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 slow down. Kidner says, let's talk about David and Bathsheba. When Nathan comes, comes and faces David and says, you are the man, what does David do? He breaks down instantly into tears, collapses and says, I am the man. And in that instant is divine forgiveness. You're forgiven. And yet the baby, born of that illicit relationship, contracts some sort of mysterious disease. And David prays night and day, prays and fasts seven days in a row. Does God answer his prayer? No, the baby dies. Kidner says it's not ipso facto. If he does one, he does the other. No, sometimes there's a reason why he doesn't do the other. And I like this line. I'll put it on the screen for you. This is Derek Kidner. If relationship with God is paramount, and of course it is. What is life about? It's about a relationship with the eternal God. If relationship with God is paramount, then what happened to David, this makes good sense. For sin destroys relationship. God says, get it out. Quick, quick, quick. Get it out. He's sorry. Out. Sin is destroyed. Forgives your iniquities. 
If relationship with God is paramount, this makes good sense, for sin destroys it while suffering. Now, hold on. While suffering may deepen relationship. For that reason, God says, I'm not taking that suffering away. I'll forgive your sin. Just like that, I'm going to leave the suffering with you. Why? Because you'll go deeper and deeper and deeper with me. And relationship is paramount for me. We just said last time you and I were together, Hebrews 5, 8. Like a, like a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. So you pray for the suffering to go away. Some of you have been begging God for days now, weeks. Take this away. And God says, I've heard your prayer. I hear you loud and clear. No, I'm not taking it away. You and I are on a journey. You stay with me. You stay with me. Someday you'll know. Six divine blessings lined up to take off into the stratosphere of our lives. Here they are. Let's read them again. Verse 3, number 1, this is the God who forgives all your iniquity. Number 2, this is the God who heals all your diseases. Number 3, this is the God who redeems your life from the pit. And I say, let's hit the pause button again right there because, yes, while we do suffer, it is critical for us to be reminded by blessing number 3 that even if our suffering takes us into the pit of the grave, God says, I, I know where you are. And I can bring you home from there. You know, we tend to think that the uh, idea of, of, of uh, resurrection is sort of a, a New Testament nuance. No, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. I, gotta, I have to read this. This is the same David who wrote Psalm 103. This is over in Psalm uh, 16. I'll put the words on the screen for you. Psalm 16. Look at David. Is he talking resurrection here or what? Look at this. This is Psalm 16, verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. I'm okay. I'm in the pit. I'm okay. My body rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol, the Hebrew word for the grave, or let your faithful ones see the pits. You're not going to leave me here, God. Verse 11, you show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You will not leave me in that pit. Six blessings taking off into the stratosphere of your life. Verse 3, read it again. Number 1, who forgives all your iniquity. This God, number 2, who heals all your diseases. This God, number 3, who redeems your life from the pit. This God, number 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This God, who number 5, who satisfies you with good as long as you live. Number 6, this God, so that your youth, he renews your youth like the eagles. Good, he surrounds you with good. Satisfies you with good as long as you live. That's good news for, for those who keep aging and aging and aging. What's up with that? You just keep aging. How do you do that? You just keep aging. But the good news is, even as life when you were young provided opportunity after opportunity for you, and you seized it, and your life has borne the fruit of what you seize, what God wants you to know is, even now, life continues to bring good to you. He brings good to you. You can do new things with God now at your age. Never give up. Never quit. He surrounds you with good as long as you live. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. The admiring gratitude of David shines from every line. Kidner's right. 
Oh boy, look at this line. Look, we got to jump down to another stanza. This is verse 8. The Lord, speaking of the giver of these gifts, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Hey, do you remember that story where God brought Moses up into Mount Sinai and he said, Yo, Moses, you've been begging. You've been begging me to see me. You want to see me? I'm going to let you see me. Get right over there. There's a little cleft in the rock. I want you to get in that little crevasse right there. Yeah, you stand there. Now you put your face in because I'm not going to let you see me. I will walk by you. If you turn around and look, you'll only see my back. And Moses says, I want to see your glory. So he puts his face in the crevasse of that rock. And God walks by. And what is God doing? He's proclaiming himself. It's a self-revelation. He says, these are the exact words. It's the identical words in the Hebrew uh, of Exodus 34, verse 6. What, what are the words? The Lord, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And by the way, what makes, what makes that self-revelation so profound is that it comes on the heels. Do you remember the story about the meltdown with the golden calf? You remember the meltdown with the golden calf? That's happened in chapter 32 and 33, the meltdown. God has done everything for them, and he's delivered them from Egypt, and just weeks into their journey, they have a golden calf for another god. How inconstant is the human mind and memory? How often I keep falling and failing in the very same way again and again and again. And God keeps coming to me. God keeps coming to me. So let's start over. Let's start over. For I'm the Lord, merciful and gracious. By the way, I love the way Eugene Peterson renders this. Let's put Peterson on the screen. This is something. God is sheer mercy and grace. That's from Psalm 103, the Message Bible. Isn't that great? God is sheer mercy and grace. The God you've come to worship today, He is sheer mercy and grace. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Am I the only one that believes that's, that that's a beautiful picture? Does anybody else here believe that? I'm just looking into your face. You had a very good Thanksgiving dinner, I can tell. <laughs> God is sheer mercy and grace. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand this? He's sheer mercy and grace. That's the way I am. You had a meltdown with a golden calf. Well, let's start over. You want to see me, Moses? I'm sheer mercy and grace. That's all you need to see, boy. Just remember that about me. I am sheer mercy and grace. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. But David's admiring gratitude soars even higher. Come on, one more stanza. Verse 9. He, speaking of this God, will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Four. Now, here they come. Three similes lined up. Three similes. Do you remember from uh, your grammar class, English class, what's a simile? A simile says... As this is, so this is. Like this is. It simile has as or like in it. Remember that? Remember that simile? There are three of them lined up. Watch this. Three similes. Verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love to those who fear Him. As the heavens are high above the earth. Hey, did you follow the story that happened in October? Come on. You, you, weren't, you, you didn't miss the news in October, did you? I think it's like October 23. Scientists announced. Did you hear this? Scientists announced that they have, through the Hubble telescope and the, uh, what's the name of that observatory in, uh, in Hawaii? The Keck Telescope Observatory in Hawaii. They have located the furthest, the farthest galaxy ever found. 
and they've, they've named the galaxy Z8GND5296. Not a great name to have, but that's the name. Guess how far this galaxy is? Listen to this. 13.1 billion light years away. Light years away. 13.1 billion. God says, hey, hey, hey. You know what my love is? It's, it's higher than the earth. As the heavens are higher, 13.1 billion light years. That's how tall, that's how high my love is. In that first simile, we have the vertical dimension of the cross. Because you remember, God made sure that the cross would always be pointing to heaven. That cross went in the ground. It's always pointing to heaven. God says the vertical dimension of the cross says, this is my love. As 13.1 billion light years, that's my love for you. Wow. But there are three similes. Here comes simile number two. Also begins with the word as. Verse 12, and as far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. You see, Calvary not only has a vertical dimension, Calvary has a horizontal dimension. God made sure that when his arms were nailed open, they would be nailed open pointing east and west because that's how far I'm going to separate you from your sins. Listen, Dwight, I'll send you this way. You just keep going until I tell you to stop and I'll take your sins and I'll go that way. And when we both get to east and west, stop. And the fact is, you'll never get to east and west. You'll just keep going. And God is saying, that's what I've done. I've separated your sins from you that far. Calvary is vertical. Calvary is horizontal. But there's one more simile. And here it is, verse 13. And as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. It is my honor today to stand before you using my Father's Bible. My Father who sleeps in Jesus right now. This is His Bible. I gave it to Him in 1991. I said, Dad, you're going to love this new Revised Standard Version. You're going to love it. He went through and marked it all up with a red a ballpoint pen. And then when he was in the nursing home, somebody knocked over a cup of liquid and it spilled all over this Bible particularly in the Psalms. So now, everywhere there was red, it's by water turned to pink, just bleeding all over the page. I think of my dad when I, when I read from this Bible because my father was a very compassionate man. You didn't have the privilege of knowing my father. I did. I have people who still come up to me. We were in Japan a few weeks ago. I have people still coming up to me. Your father was such a kind man, Dwight. He was such a gentleman. I used to think kindness was a sign of weakness. You know, you've got to be a strong leader. You, can, you can't be kind. I have since learned as I get older and come to know Jesus more that kindness is probably one of the great, great strengths of God. He is kind and gentle, and that is his strength. Like a father has compassion. My dad was compassionate to us kids, trust me. We didn't deserve, we didn't deserve any of it. That's my dad. This is his Bible. As a father is compassionate to his children, so the Lord is compassionate to those who love him and fear him. If the first simile is about the vertical nature of the cross and the second simile is about the horizontal nature of the cross, the third simile is about the person on the cross. He's a compassionate God. Sheer grace and mercy. That's Dad. That's your Father. Wow. What a God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Admiring gratitude, ladies and gentlemen, that's what God is asking for.
He can't force it from me. He can't get it from you. Admiring gratitude is your gift. This Thanksgiving weekend and every day till Jesus comes, admiring gratitude, dear God. A little over a century ago, these words were written, taking this line from Psalm 103. I'll put the words on the screen for you. God is love. He has a care for the creatures, the children he has formed. And now here comes Psalm 103. Like as a father pitieth, that's the old King James. I so much like the newer translations. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on them that fear him. And now she quotes from 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed. And I love the NIV here. The Father has lavished. Look at this kind of love that the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. What a precious privilege is this, that we may be sons and daughters of the Most High, heirs of God, and joy. Join heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, hold on. But shall we be recipients of his mercies and never express our gratitude to God? Never praise him for what he has done for us? You're never going to say thank you? Just give me, give me, give me. Dwight, have you heard your prayers lately? Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. Do you ever say thank you, boy? Do you ever just say thank you? And that's all we talk about. We shall we be recipients of his mercies and never express our gratitude to God, never praise him for what he has done for us? Oh, listen to this. We do not pray any too much. I know we think, well, I've really been praying for a long time, God. We do not pray any too much, but we are too sparing of giving thanks. You're holding back, Dwight. You're holding back. Why? We are too sparing of giving thanks. Now, hold on, because this is it. If the loving kindness of God called forth more thanksgiving and praise from my heart, we, you, and I should have far more power in prayer. End quote. You want power with God? You want to storm the throne of grace in this universe? Sheer mercy and grace. You want power with God? You will have that. You will tap into that power when you come in the spirit that is the spirit of God, the spirit of admiring gratitude. You praise Him. You thank Him. We will have more power in prayer if we spent more time in saying thank you. I don't want to be too sparing of thanks to you. No, I know you don't. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. On the back of the Connect card today are three responses. These are almost so no-brainer responses that I'm a little embarrassed to draw your attention to them. But I can't imagine us just closing our Bible and saying, let's get, over to the, let's get home for the leftovers from Thursday's dinner. And not say, well, I, I would like to do, make some decision here. Guess we're, we're, we're very glad to have you. Our ushers are now moving to their places because they're going to receive these cards in just a moment. We're glad to have you. Guess we have a lot of family. I'm just looking around. We have a lot of family reunions taking place. That's always special. Thank you for coming, gracing us. On the front of the card, guess we do this every Sabbath. On the front of the card, would you just scribble down as much of your, your, your information that you're comfortable sharing? Just, just share that. Then turn the card over. We call this the next step side of the card. And look at these. I'm a little embarrassed by this, but we have, shouldn't we decide something? My next step today, you see that? My next step today is to bless the Lord in His holy name, to forget not all His benefits. Please. Put a check mark there. Join me, please. 
Next step, number two. My next step today is to live a life of admiring gratitude to the God of all grace. Sheer mercy and grace. Oh, God, I want to live. I just want to have this habit of gratitude. Please, God, help me. Admiring gratitude. And finally, now here's a way to concretize this teaching. Finally, number three, to turn that gratitude. My next step today is to turn that gratitude into an act of grace for someone else. This next week, I just want, God, I want to do something for somebody. I'm always asking for me, 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 but lead me to somebody. And then trigger my conscience so that I realize this is the moment, Dwight, you've been asking. And then help me to do something for somebody else. Put a check mark on all those, all three of them, if you would, please. And turn it over. Oh, before you turn it over, we just had a beautiful baptism a moment ago. Elizabeth, you go, girl. So proud of you. That was a beautiful testimony you gave. It was kind of neat to see Grandpa back in the baptistry with you and the whole proud family sitting on the front row with you. But you know, Isabel, she, she, as a young child, she makes this decision for Jesus. Talking about admiring gratitude, that's all she has for her God. She loves her Lord. She says, I give you my life. There's some of you who saw a baptism today and you see something happened inside of you. Something spoke inside of you and said, when are you going to be baptized, boy? Girl, sir, madam, when are you going to follow Jesus in baptism? If you have not, I want to invite you in this other little box right here. You just put, I'd like information on baptism. You're not promising anything to anybody, but we'd be glad to be in touch with you and explore with you what it would take. Come on, nobody's going to be baptized next week, but if you haven't been baptized, put a check mark right there, will you? Let Isabella's testimony be a blessing and just go on like a ripple through life. Put a check mark there as you turn this card in. Make sure we have a phone number or an email address. If you just make sure we have a phone number or an email address, we'll be back in touch with you. We're going to receive those in just a moment, but I want to tell a story first. Usher, so don't stand yet. Listen to this. This is something. His name, Henry Francis Light, L-Y-T-E. He was born in Scotland. What was the year? He was born in Scotland, 1793. He was raised an orphan. No parents. Raised an orphan. He ended up in Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. He's taking medicine. He's into the medical studies and he changes his mind. He wants to take theology. He becomes a pastor. And Henry Francis Light did indeed become a pastor. He moved in several parishes, but he ended up at his final parish, which he would end up serving for 24 years until tuberculosis snuffed his life out in his early 50s. Henry Francis Light. He ended up in the parish called Lower Brixham. That's in Devonshire, England. It's a little fishing village right on the water. Guess what? The King of England showed up one weekend in his little village. King William IV. You understand we have a William right now who will eventually, if time lasts long enough, become a king, right? So I don't know if he's five or six, but uh, this is four, number four. William IV shows up, and the pastor, Pastor Light, throws this, 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 this grand welcome for the king of the nation who's worshiping in our little church today. The king is so moved by the celebration that when it's over, he, says, he calls Pastor Light. He says, listen, I'm going to give you my house at Berry Head overlooking the sea. You can have my house. It pays to be friends with the king. <laughs> huh? So he gives him the house, and in that house... Henry Francis Light will compose 280 hymns. A lot of our ancient hymns were composed by pastors. He composed them. Derek Kidner calls this one of the most well-known of all hymns in the English language, and we're going to sing it together. It's based on Psalm 103. It's Henry Francis Light's 
paraphrase of David's majestic prayer. So I want to pray with you. Then the ushers are going to come your way, and we're going to sing this hymn. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. He's writing about his king, writing about the king, even as he had a king come to his church. I want to pray with you first. Father, praise our souls. The King of Heaven. That's what David is admiring. Gratitude. Just one line after another. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within me. Don't forget his benefits. Bless his holy name. Dear Father, we want to be swept onto our, our hearts, swept up into the stratosphere with this spirit of admiring gratitude and praise. You have done, oh, so much for us. Unworthy though we are, forgive us for forgetting intentionally forgetting your benefits. Awaken in, awaken in us in the journey that awaits us now. Awaken in us this admiring gratitude for the God of sheer mercy and grace. And as we sing to you now and as we return our morning tithes and our offerings, take it all as an expression of our gratitude. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.